Thanks, Mike. <clears throat> well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, look forward to opening up the Word of God and seeing what He has to minister to us this morning. Let's, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look into your Word this morning, our heart's desire is to be shaped more and more into the image of Christ. We desire to know you more. We desire to uh, know how to serve you more and to walk in obedience. And Father, we pray that you would equip us as a community and as individuals to be your light, your salt in this world, and to glorify your name in every way. So take your word this morning and uh, mold us and shape us into the image of Christ uh, through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to be taking a look this morning at... uh, Uh, As we continue kind of on from what Matt shared last week on seeking uh, God in community, Uh, we're going to kind of be taking a little bit of a negative look uh, uh, today, so it's going to be a little bit different than last week, Uh, but hopefully out of the negative uh, example we see in scriptures, the Lord will encourage us uh, to walk in a positive way before Him. So we're going to take a look at Matthew 24, verses 3 through 13. Today we're going to kind of give you a general framework of what it looks like to live as community, to seek God in community, and, and what that looks like in a general sense. And many of you, we all live in different contexts, are going to have to put this, uh, the specifics into how, we, how do we work this out? How do I work this out in my job, in my community, my family, my neighborhood, my school, uh, whatever? But this is going to uh, teach us, uh, give us a little bit of a context of what it does look like for us to live in this community. What are we aiming for? So Matthew chapter 24 Jesus talks about the end times, and uh, He uh, shares with us a little, gives us a picture, a prophetic picture of what the end is going to look like as His disciples questioned Him. So, we're going to read from beginning in verse 3 of chapter 24 of Matthew. So, as He was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately, saying, "'Tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign of Your coming in the end of the age?' And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will, will, will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginnings of the birth pangs. So here we see a description of the world uh, what it looks like in the end times. It's very similar to what we're experiencing today. As I read this passage, you know, it's almost like reading, uh, you know, today's newspaper headlines. Uh, this is what's going on in our world today. So, Jesus frames what our world's going to look like and what the world looks like that we're going to be living in, in the end times. And then in verse 9, He kind of goes into more of a uh, description of what it looks like for the body of Christ, for you and I as believers, as living in this world where there's war and famine and earthquakes and nation rising against nation, um, he goes on then to describe what it's going to be like for the church, for you and us as believers. So then in verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So as we can see by the description of this, uh, the, this passage here, this very much uh, looks like the world that you and I are living in today. And uh, as we look at this passage, we 
can be encouraged or discouraged as the church, recognizing that in the end times, as we draw closer to the end, evil is going to only increase. This Scripture teaches us that in the end times, there's going to be tribulation, and there's going to be hardship, there's going to be a lot of challenges. And unfortunately for us as the church, evil is going to continue to grow as the time of Christ's return draws near. And Scripture is very clear on that. So what's the danger to us as the body of Christ in this context? What's the danger that you and I face as individuals and as the body of Christ? Well, it's clearly laid out here. There's going to be betrayal. There's going to be hatred of one another. Uh, there's going to be false prophets that are going to be misleading people. Um, and there's going to be the love of many who are going to grow cold. This uh, verse um, uh, 12 is the one verse that uh, I've kind of focused on quite a bit in my life. Uh, I've actually, this is a verse that I tried to always keep before my children growing up. This is a really key verse, I felt, in our, my discipleship process with my children is to help prepare that, you know, someday you're going to be living in a world where e evil and lawlessness are going to be increasing. And this passage actually tells us that most of us, most within the body of Christ, their love is going to grow cold. And I used to always tell my children, your goal in life is to be among the few, to not be among the many that are talked about here in Matthew chapter 24. And I think that's a real challenge for us as a body of Christ. As I look out at uh, brothers and sisters in Christ here, to read a prophecy like this and realize that most, and some uh, um, passages say many, but here in New American Standard it says most uh, people's love will grow cold as they face lawlessness. And our challenge this morning as we seek God in community is to not only individually keep ourselves from being among the, the many and the most whose love will grow cold, but as a community coming together to make sure that our love is focused where it needs to be, and our love as, as a community is not growing cold either. either. And so as we look at this idea of, of our love not growing cold, what is the focus of our love? What does this love look like? And I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 22, verses uh, 37 through 39. This is the great commandment. As many of us know, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, um, uh, as they were questioning him, they said, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So here we see that love for us as believers is focused primarily towards God, that we need to love God with everything that we are, with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, all that we are, we're to be loving God. And so as a community and as individuals, we want to be encouraging one another towards a deeper, deeper love for God. Is God our, our first and foremost love? And secondly, is the love of our neighbor, that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And both of those uh, commands are very difficult commands in a world where evil and lawlessness are increasing. And, uh, but God and, and, and calls us to this kind of love. So that we have this passionate, hot love for God, and we have a love for our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then in Matthew 24, going back, one of the things that, that this passage encourages us with um, in verse 13, it says, the one who endures or the one who perseveres to the end, he will be saved. Now, perseverance uh, is only applicable when we have a challenge. I remember when I was um, in high school, I wrestled. And one of the goals of my coach was that if we all made it to the third period, the final period of wrestling, that we would be able to wrestle as strongly as we did in the first period. So conditioning for him was really important. 
And his goal was to win matches in the third period when your opponent was tired. And so as a result, we did a lot of conditioning. I, rem- I can't tell you how many flights of steps I ran through high school and trying to get into shape uh, for wrestling. And I remember we start at the top and we'd run down three, three flights of stairs and we'd get to the bottom and run straight back up to the top. And we just keep doing that, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, we'd be running up and down steps as a team. And I remember just being exhausted and just wanting to give up. But recognizing that if I was going to be successful in accomplishing, reaching the goal of winning uh, in wrestling, that I had to persevere through this challenge. And that's exactly what you and I face in our spiritual lives. When we live among, in a lawless, evil society, we're going to be faced with challenges. And I really appreciated what Scott uh, McClellan, for those of you who were in Sunday school this morning, I really appreciated what, shot, what Scott had to share as he got up and shared, you know, just about the own challenge he's facing in an in increasingly evil and a, a world that's moving away from, from God, from the principles of God, and how he tries to deal with that and struggles through that in his work environment to be the testimony that God wants him to be, to have the, you know, the attitude and the heart uh, necessary for living out his faith. And, and, and when we, when we um, look at this idea of perseverance, it means that we're going to face challenges. In the, in the end times, we're going to face a lot of challenges um, to our faith. And evil around us is going to have an impact on our love for God. And unfortunately, as Jesus prophesies here, many, most, uh, their love will grow cold. I think about, you know, the parable of, of the, the broad way and the narrow way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many will find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and only few will find it. Uh, these passages are real challenges to us in our spiritual walk. Um, do we want to be among the few, or do we want to be among the many? And our challenge this morning is to keep our love hot and passionate for God and for others. And that's what it really means. That needs to be the goal of what it means to seek God in, in, our, in our community uh, as a body of believers together, not just individually. So what are the signs of, that our love may be growing cold? As Again, as I said, it's kind of a grim description of life and uh, what it means to live out as a believer in these end times, and which is a context that we're living in and seems to be will only increase. How do we live out our faith, and how do we keep a strong love? Well, looking at the negative side of this, uh, what is the sign of a heart that may be growing cold? If we take a look at Matthew chapter 24, again going back to our passage, verse 10 it says, at that time many will fall away, will betray one another, and hate one another. You know, that's a, that's a really sad description when you look at a body of believers and you think that within that body of believers, there's going to be many who will betray each other and hate one another. That's not a very good picture. And so part of the idea of, of having a cold love and, and uh, our love growing cold is this sad condition in the church where there'll be hatred and there'll be betrayal. My wife and I, as many of you know, we lived in a, a Muslim-majority country for about 15 years. And while we were living in this country where the, the environment is very much like what is described here in Matthew chapter 24, uh, where it was illegal and uh, socially unacceptable uh, for someone to follow Jesus and leave their Islamic faith. And in that context where they have the challenges from the government and from society, where sometimes your work and your livelihood depended, uh, was negatively uh, impacted by, by your faith and where you could be imprisoned or where you could be socially, be, become a social outcast in your community and with your family. In those kind of contexts, we witness firsthand how easy it is for hatred and betrayal and bitterness and hurt and, and divided relationships to spring up. 
And uh, unfortunately, in this challenging environment that we find ourselves, as evil increases, one of the things that's going to happen is trust uh, uh, tends to decrease. And so we would see um, hurts happen or offenses happen between believers, and they would we saw broken relationships as a result of that, as the pressure of living in a society that's oppositional to your faith um, it, uh, has an impact on your relationships and those within the body of Christ. And unfortunately, we saw many broken relationships or lack of trust as people said, you know, I can't trust this brother in Christ because if I, if I commit myself to him and he betrays me to my family, my faith, um, I could be, uh, suffer dire consequences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, is a, a verse that I thought of a lot of times through those, uh, through those years as we, as we lived overseas in that context. Paul was addressing the Corinthian church. They had, he had encouraged them to discipline uh, a believer in the church who had sinned. And apparently, as this passage uh, shows us, um, the person came back to faith. They repented. And Paul wanted to encourage them, how should we then respond to this person? And in 2 Corinthians 2, um, Verse 10, it says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for the sake, for your sake, in the presence of Christ, so that we not, would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Um, I think Paul's challenge here to the church is, you know, we are in a spiritual battle, and as evil increases around us, uh, we're going to see the enemy try to divide. I, I really believe the enemy's number one tool in crippling the church and crippling believers is division within the body of Christ. And Paul was very um, adamant in his correction and his encouragement to the church that you need to not give in to the enemy's schemes, that when there's division in the body, when there's hurts, when there's offenses, that they need to be dealt with and forgiven needs to be, forgiveness needs to be extended. Uh, because if it's not, then division's going to happen in the body and the church is going to be weakened, not strengthened. And I think we all have experienced that at some point in our life. We've either experienced that personally or we've observed that in the body, how um, unforgiveness and bitterness can, can divide and can hinder us in our growth in Christ and our effectiveness in reaching the world. So we're not to be outwitted by Satan's schemes. Um, and it's important that we understand the power of forgiveness and that's rooted in this love for God and this love for others. Uh, there's many passages in Scripture that address this issue of love and forgiveness. Uh, John 13 says, Love one another as I have loved you. By, all this, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. That the relationship that you and I have for one another, the love that we have for one another, is what is a witness and reflecting uh, that we're disciples of Jesus Christ uh, to the world around us. 1 John 4 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he can see cannot love God whom he has not seen. This idea that it's, it's really uh, impossible to say, I love uh, my brother and, and not love, uh, to say, I love God and not love my brother. And he, of course, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven us, that Jesus, in all the offenses that we've uh, brought against Christ, uh, He chose to forgive by giving His life for us, and we need to respond the same way as we look to forgive others. So, seeking God together in community, maintaining this hot love, means that there won't be divisions within the body, that forgiveness will characterize our relationships with one another. 
And so the question this morning is, how are your relationships with other believers? Are there offenses within this body or within the wider body of believers, you know, in our community around us? Are there hurts and offenses that need to be dealt with between you and another brother or sister in Christ? Or are there people in your life who you know are at odds with each other? They're offended, there's hurts, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness, and how can you play a role in helping to bring about um, the mending of those relationships? Bitterness and unforgiveness um, are at the heart of what it means to have a hot love for God, a passionate love for God and for others. And so, as our uh, one sign of a heart that may be growing cold is one that I'm harboring bitterness, unforgiveness towards my brother or sister in Christ. And how do I need to address that in, in my own life and within the body? But then as well, uh, I, as we look at this love that grows cold, it also uh, involves uh, how we respond and relate to the world around us. And as evil grows in the world around us, um, there's going to be uh, attitudes as well that creep up into our lives and how we look at the world around us and how we respond to people. And so what are our attitudes towards uh, those uh, around us who are outside of the body of Christ? We're not only called to love our neighbors, as we saw in the Great Commandment, um, but in Luke chapter 6, we're also called to even love our enemies. I just want to read through this parts of this passage, which um, some aspects of this passage really jumped out at me as I was reading through it just recently in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 37. It says, but I say to you who hear, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. How many of you pray for your enemies? How many pray for you, pray for people in your life who you see as oppositional to you. Maybe it's oppositional to your theological beliefs, uh, people who are, are living out lives that are considered evil. Uh, how do we treat them? Do we pray for them? Treat others the same way you want, to tr- you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This little segment here, I mean, this verse basically lays out saying, okay, God, I'm your your model for what it looks like to love people who are oppositional to you, people who are your enemies, people who under normal circumstances, according to your human nature, would be very difficult to love. And God here says, Jesus says, for he himself, God the Father, the Most High, who we are sons of, He himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men, and I want you to follow that example. This is what Jesus is saying. I want you to follow the example of your Father, the Most High God, who you are children of, and that is to be kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father father is merciful. So how are we as individuals living this out within our communities and with those around us? And this is why I've really appreciated, you know, our adult Sunday school class. For those of you who haven't been there to uh, the Sunday school class where we're looking at the LGBT issue, I've really appreciated the way David has framed that and his leadership in leading that, that, um, that class has been really fantastic. This idea of grace and truth running together and how do we live in truth and yet respond in grace to, uh, to those who live out lives that are very different than us. And not just uh, live out peacefully, but in many cases are militant against um, uh, our own values in, in, in trying to shape society. And I've really appreciated, you know, this idea, and if you haven't been to that class, I'd encourage you to get there, this idea that we live out our faith, grace and truth, and being merciful. I think this is what it means to look like 
God reflects that for us in being kind to ungrateful and evil men and being merciful just as um, the Father is merciful. These are all important aspects of what it means to have a hot and passionate love for God, not allowing our love to grow cold. It's easy for us to build up animosity towards those who are different than us, especially those of us who we see living in sin apart from the Word of God. And it's easy to be judgmental, and yet God calls us to be merciful in those kinds of contexts and not have animosity uh, towards those who uh, we disagree with. But not only animosity can rise up against those in the world, but also indifference. As the world increasingly grows in lawlessness, you know, I look at a love growing cold is this idea of I'm indifferent, I just don't care. I really don't care about the people out there. If they want to, you know, um, live the lives they're living uh, and go to hell, well, that's for them. And I'm just going to live my little life and I'm going to shelter myself from evil and I'm going to withdraw. And that's a really easy reaction to have where, when evil increases. It becomes so overwhelming that we just re- withdraw and we, we kind of withdraw back into our shell. But in this same passage in Matthew chapter 24, which goes over into Matthew chapter 25, talking about the end times, uh, Jesus talks um, in Matthew chapter 25 about the judgment. And I just want to read, we all probably know this parable fairly well. Uh, it talks about the judgment of God, and he talks about how the, the sheep are going to be put on the right, goats on the left, and, and how God's going to judge uh, those of us who stand before him uh, someday. And in Matthew, I just want to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 45, which deals with the goats, how he responds to those on his left. It says, Then I will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. I think one of the signs and what Jesus is talking about here is, you know, it's easy for us to be indifferent to the needs of people around us. You know, I look at Romans, I look at the passage we just read in Luke 6, where it says, If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That we're not supposed to withdraw and be indifferent to those. Uh, who we consider our enemies or those in the world, our neighbors as well. But we're supposed to love them, and that love is supposed to be demonstrated through action, that we're not just loving in word, but we're loving in deed and truth. And we need to engage in the world, not withdraw from it. And one sign that our love may be growing cold is that we may be withdrawing uh, from the world, and we may not be engaging and looking to be the hands and feet, the voice of Jesus in our world. And so I would challenge you this morning is, are you looking at the world around you in an indifferent, with an indifferent attitude or, an, you know, with animosity towards those uh, who don't think in the way we do? Are you looking at the world engaging and looking for ways that we as the body of Christ and we as individuals can be uh, Jesus' hands and feet, bringing the love of Christ? Our love's not growing cold, but we have a passionate love for God that drives us to love our neighbors, ourselves, and even to love our enemy. And, and therefore, we're active in, in meeting the needs of those around us. So how are we doing on that in the body of Christ? Is there there divisions or is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness that's creeped up in our hearts that we need to address as a body and as individuals? And seeking God together means that we don't have have divisions among us. We don't have hurts. We don't have offenses that uh, that we're not dealing with. 
And how do we look at the world? Is there animosity or indifference in our hearts towards the world, or is, is, is there a passionate love for God that drives us to love our neighbor as ourself and care for the needs of those around us? And then a, another area of, our, uh, of a sign that our love may be growing cold is uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, again, turning back to our passage, uh, in, I'm sorry, in verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 6, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So, in this passage, uh, one of the things that we're encouraged to do in the midst of this turmoil that's going on around, this tribulation, these great problems in the world, is not to be frightened. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 is a really interesting passage because it's a really similar kind of parallel passage to Matthew chapter 24. This is when, God was, when Jesus was instructing His disciples before He sent them out to minister in the world, uh, this is a, kind of the talk He gave them, the pep rally talk He gave them in Matthew chapter 10, uh, which is very similar uh, to what we see here in Matthew chapter 24. So, I'm going to read through this. Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 to 33. Jesus, as He's sending His disciples out, says, "'Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpent and innocent as doves.'" But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge, scourge you in the synagogues, and you will, be, you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Here we very clearly reflect Matthew 24. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved." Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered." So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. So here we see again this picture of deep hardship and tribulation and trial. Um, and, and in the midst of this, uh, we're called three times in this passage not to be afraid. Do not fear them. Do not fear. Do not fear. And in Matthew 24, we saw also said, don't be frightened. And he gives us a number of reasons in this passage why we're not supposed to be afraid. The first one, he says, don't, don't fear because really in the end, truth is going to win out, win out. So what you hear whispered, what's concealed, what's hidden, I want you to proclaim it loudly. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to proclaim it because in the end, truth wins out. The message of the gospel wins out. And so therefore, speak it boldly without fear. So he's saying the message you're preaching is truth. Preach the truth. Don't be afraid, because in the end, it's all going to be clear as to where the truth lies. He also says, don't, be fear, don't fear because you're eternal beings. What's the worst they can do to you is kill you. You know, some of us think, well, that's pretty bad. You know, I don't want to be killed. Uh, that's pretty bad. So I'm not supposed to be afraid because all they can do is kill me. Well, you know, I was at a conference recently. It was really interesting. This guy got up and he said, you know, we all, it was a business conference, and he got up and he said, you know, we all have like five-year plans, 10-year plans, 20-year plans. He said, I want to know how many of you have a 250-year plan. 
Or how many of you have a 400 or a thousand year plan? How many of you are thinking in that kind of framework? And I really appreciated that perspective because we do tend to think very temporal. We think very much about this world and my life. And a lot of the decisions we make in life, we make to protect ourselves. And we make thinking about, okay, how is this going to enhance my temporal life that I'm living here in this world? But I think what Jesus is, is challenging us to do is, I don't want you to think temporally. I want you to think eternally. You're eternal beings. All they can do is kill your physical body. But you know what? You have ter- eternity ahead of, ahead of you where you're going to live out your spiritual life in the kingdom with me. And so I think one of the other reasons we're not supposed to fear is because we're, we, we see ourselves not as temporal beings, but we see ourselves as eternal beings. You are a being that has been created that will live forever. And 400 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, 100,000 years from now, you will continue to exist in the kingdom with God if you're a child of His and the Son of the Most High. And so don't, don't be fearful of, this, of, of losing your temporal body. Uh, that's what uh, uh, Jesus is telling us here. So don't be afraid. And how can we develop this eternal perspective and not allow fear to grip us as we look to protect our temporal body? And then the third thing he says is don't be fearful because God says you're valuable. You know, God thinks that you're a very valuable person. He knows every hair on your head. He knows you intimately. He knows you inside and out. And and God thinks you're a valuable person. And as a result of the fact that I think God thinks I'm a valuable person, then I can trust Him to take care of me. Then any circumstance, no matter what that circumstance is, I can trust God to take care of me because He sees me as a valuable person. And so, as we, as we look at this issue of fear, and, and sometimes we can have a, a, an idea of our love growing cold when we, when we ask ourselves, is there fear in any way governing how I make decisions in my life, how I live out my life? Is fear a part of that? In 1 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and self-control. The Spirit of God that dwells in us is powerful enough to help us to do the things that don't come naturally. You know, when we look at the world around us, uh, we see people living out lives of their own human physical nature apart from the Spirit of God dwelling in them. And when the Spirit of God dwells in us, He gives us the ability to have courage and, and to be bold uh, in, in living out our spiritual life, even in the midst of opposition and challenges. And so as we walk in the Spirit, uh, we want to see uh, fear diminish in our lives. And so one fact of, one uh, sign that our love may be growing cold is, is this idea that we, we live by fear and we allow fear to govern us. Just heard a story recently about a believer in one of these countries that, uh, where it's illegal to be a Christian. There's a lot of opposition and um, a lot of consequence for those who follow Christ. He was taken into the police, and as he was going into the police, he contacted his friend and said, hey, pray for me. I have no idea what lies before me. And he came out uh, as they, after they released him. I'm not sure how long he was in there, but after they released him, he came out of being released, and he contacted his friends again. He said, thank you so much for praying. He said, they actually beat me, but by the grace of God, I felt no pain as they were beating me. And I appreciate you standing with me in prayer, and God's grace in that moment was sufficient. And see, God sees us as valuable, and His Spirit within us can give us the power and strength to endure even those kind of beatings uh, if we trust Him, and it allows us to persevere in faith and in love, um, even in the midst of difficult Uh, difficult circumstances. So, let's just take a quick summary here. How do we maintain an enduring, hot, and passionate love for God and for people in the midst of an increasingly evil world? 
where we're being threatened? How do we work as a community in seeking God in that kind of a context? Well, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, again, going back to our passage in Matthew chapter 24, one of the things that was really Jesus challenged his listeners to was, um, he said, see to it that no one misleads you. Well, the only way we can be misled by false teachings and uh, by ways that are not in accordance with God's Word is if we don't know God's Word. So I'd ask you this morning, how well and deeply entrenched is the Word of God in your heart? How deeply do you know the Word of God? How much does that play, how much is that a foundation for how you live your life? How does it shape your worldview? You know, I think even going back to this idea of fear, you know, when we have a worldview that God's in control, He sees me as valuable, He's not going to allow me to die before the time that He wants me to die. God wants to use me in this world. And as a result of that, because God sees me as valuable, therefore I can boldly proclaim uh, His message to the world around me. And so the worldview of who God is and who I, how I relate to Him shapes how I think and how I live, live out my life. But that's, ba- that's grounded in this understanding of knowing the Word of God and allowing it to shape our worldview and how we look at the world. In the same passage in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, 44, um, you know, talks about part of this end times and what's going to happen is that Christ is going to return. Jesus says, for this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think He will. So are we ready for the return of Christ? And I think part of this, again, goes back to do we have an eternal perspective? Do we cling to this life, this temporal life, or are we seeing ourselves as eternal beings and recognizing that this world is not our final destination, but they actually live for the kingdom of God? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. If your faith is just focused on this life and this world, and it certainly needs to be, it shapes how we live our life, but if that's where our hope is and in this world only, uh, then we are really of most men to be pitied. We are looking forward to glory and being with our Savior someday, and He must be um, our first love in that regard. 1 John 4.19, another principle I think that's important for us is we love Him because He first loved us. And again, as we look back at that earlier verse, you know, that, that Jesus, that God the Father Himself models what it means to love, and as He poured out His love and forgiving us and coming and dying on the cross, and as the Father is kind to those who are ungrateful and, and evil, and He's merciful, therefore we should be merciful, that as we look and understand and clearly see God's love for us and the great and awesome love that God has for us, uh, then that, um, that understanding of God's love also then is poured out by us uh, towards others within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. And so our love begins to look like God's love. Our love for others is full of mercy and kindness. Our love for others um, is, is a go- love that forgives and that keeps uh, short accounts with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Hebrews 10.24, I think, is a passage that uh, really helps us as well to move forward in this idea of seeking God in community. It says, how can we stimulate one another? How can we encourage one another towards love and good deeds? So we saw what this love is supposed to look like. How can we encourage one another towards that? And I think seeking God in community means that we seek God and we encourage others to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we encourage others, we encourage one another to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so I, I, I hope that we as a community, as we seek God, can make loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves and even our enemy um, as a central part of what it means to seek, seek a God in community. 
And so just to summarize, seeking God in community means that we walk in the grace of God to love others with no animosity in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiving, God, forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven us. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing it in your relationships within the body of Christ? Are there areas where you need to go and ask for forgiveness or extend forgiveness? Or are there people in your life that you can help to mediate um, situations where you know there's, there's broken relationships and offenses? Secondly, um, a life that is, that is um, hot and passionate, has a hot and passionate love for God, is it means one that we love our neighbors as ourselves. We are kind to ungrateful and evil men around us by the grace of God. We, that we understand we don't have a spirit of fear and timidity in our life, but we have a life that is able to love others supernaturally in ways that uh, only God can, can allow us to. And then we're free of fear. We live lives that are walking in this world, this evil world, depending on the grace and love of the Father in us, and powerfully depending upon His Spirit to love in ways that the world in no way can love. And so as we look at the, our lives, our individual lives, and ourselves as a community, are we going to be among the many, the most, uh, who uh, persevere to the end in loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves, even loving our enemy? Or are we going to be among the most or the many uh, who, uh, whose love grows cold in these days of increasing evil? And my prayer for each one of us is that we will love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We will love our neighbors ourselves. We will love our enemy. We'll do that in active and active ways. And so don't be among the many uh, whose love will grow cold in the end, but those who persevere to the end. And I hope that we can endure uh, in loving relationship with God and loving relationship with one another until the end. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we know that what you're calling us to in passages like Matthew 24 and Matthew 10, Luke 6, uh, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, to love our enemy. Uh, Lord, we know that we can only do that through the Spirit of God that dwells in us. Thank you that you've given us a spirit of boldness, a spirit of courage, not a spirit of timidity, a spirit of power, not a, power, not a spirit of weakness, and a spirit of self-discipline, Lord, to, to walk and live out the life that you desire us to as your, as your children. So as sons and daughters of the Most High, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be merciful to the, those that you're merciful to. Help us to, to love in the way that you love. Fill us with the fullness of your Spirit each day as we go into our workplace, our neighborhood, within our families, our communities. Lord, may you just use us to be the instruments that you desire us to be. Help us to seek you uh, by loving you and loving others um, as a community here at Grace Chapel. And Lord, we'll give you thanks for all that you've abundantly blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen.